Hello. It's another day in quarantine. Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. Follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Um, subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Hours. Also for our RSS feed, go on our Podbean, realsankarahours.podbean.com. Um, you can get all our stuff from there, get our RSS feed and all that. Um, yeah, uh, we're going to kind of sort of um, somewhat shoot the ship. I mean, we have some topics to talk about, obviously. Uh, one of the big major things in the news is um, the outright uh, murder of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia. Um, and some some of the, I guess, MAGA protests to open up the country um, and and all that. Uh, so we're just going to talk about that and like, maybe just, just another week in America. Yeah. We're back yeah. to, we're back to form, baby. Yeah. Uh, I'm Adam Hudson. Follow me at Adam Hudson five on Twitter. And this is Peter M. Gunn. Follow me at M. Gunn Peter. So yeah, let's get into it. Yeah. I will give a, a primer. So right before we were recording, I just saw this. So, um, so Ahmad Arbery, uh, he was a 25-year-old black man who um, there is a video released of two white men, Gregory Michael, age 64, and Travis Mike, oh, sorry, Gregory McMichael, I forgot the Mick part, Gregory McMichael, 60, age 64, and Travis McMichael, 34, so this is father-son, um, basically they got, they just shot this young man. Uh, when he was jogging uh, this happened in uh georgia um brunswick georgia so i guess that's like apparently it's between um savannah and jacksonville so it's between savannah georgia and jacksonville florida so southern georgia so oh they... man southern georgia oh yeah i don't think there's any part of the country that scares me more than rural georgia like yeah so the the they shot and they shot and killed him in February. Uh, apparently, what they said was that there's I guess some robberies in the area. So they saw Ahmad jogging, I guess jogging past some construction sites. So they thought he was suspicious. So they got their guns, the pistol and shotgun, and shot him to death. And there was a video, a dash cam video, I guess, um, uh, recording of. These two men just fucking murdering him. Like, it was cold-blooded murder. And and the video is enough because it's like... So so today, right before we started recording, just an hour ago, Gregory McMichael and Travis McMichael um, have been arrested and charged with murder. But this happened in February, so it took three months. Also, another thing... Gregory McMichael is a former cop and, and an investigator with the local mm-hmm. DA's office. So that's part of the reason why it took so long for the family yeah, to find yeah. justice. I, I'm sure I'm sure that whole case is going to be handled perfectly. Oh, I'm yeah. sure it's not going to get botched in any regard. Oh, yeah. There's absolutely going to be justice because if there's one thing we know about the American justice system is that um, it always gets justice for um, unarmed black people who are killed at the hands of police officers and white vigilantes. That always happens. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, yeah. So I, I, even before, I mean, this is, again, this is, um, we were, we're recording this May 7, 2020 Thursday. Um, this, they, they were just, uh, it was just announced today that they're arrested. 
um, and charged with murder. Um, but even before that, like some people were saying, like, you know, wait for the facts and investigate. But if you see that video, it's just clear, cold blooded murder. And, you know, there is a bonus episode we did where I talked about my racist neighbor calling the cops on me for no fucking reason. So when I saw that video, I was, I was pretty shaken up and like, I, you know, it just reminded me of that, that incident. And it's just, you know, another reminder of um how unsafe black people are in america no matter where you're at um even though this is georgia like it could happen Mm -hmm. in california it can happen anywhere so um yeah like there's there's no reason to like investigate this is cold cold cold-blooded racial terrorism i mean this is basically um another lynching essentially without the actual rope but it's just yeah yeah, and that's, yeah, I mean, I didn't watch the video precisely for that reason, because that shit just yeah. makes, I like, you know, I feel like I'm a pretty morbid person, but even still watching that shit just, it, I mean, it's like, snuff, it's literally watching a snuff film, and the, yeah. and the whole thing about, like, this being a modern day lynching, that's not like a metaphor, it's not even, I mean, it is just a lynching, like, like it's an extrajudicial killing that is like carried out in public. It's just that now you can now like lynch, the whole point of lynching was that it was a public spectacle, and you know people would like take their fucking picnic baskets out to it and shit. And now you know we don't have we don't have nobody really goes on picnics, so instead we make it a uh, a viral video for it to be played over and over again. It always strikes me as like some form of ritualistic sacrifice. Yeah. Um, and it is like, you know, like there are like cops have told black people when they're trying to intimidate them that they'll make them a hashtag. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like I mean, this is pure America. I'm, I I get the feeling that like, um, you know. John McMaster and son come from like a long, proud line of, I'm just going to say it, nigger killers, because I, you know, first of all, McMaster, that's pure Scots, Irish, rural Georgia, right? Those are the uh, like, McMichael, technically, McMichael, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who cares like, about their name? I mean, yeah, you know. te- technically that's their name. But and it's just... like, and it's like, son, son, you got your first one. I, I know, I know you're, you know, millennial. So you're like. It's taken you a while to grow up, but we finally did it together, right? And then they probably had a beer or something, and mm-hmm. they, you know, and then he probably fucked the shit out of his wife because apparently murder like makes you really virile. I learned that from a documentary about police shootings. So, hmm. wait, what documentary? Uh, I think it's called "Do Not Resist." <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that one. That one. That one will shake you up if you if you. Shit. If you haven't, like, if for some reason you don't hate the system of policing enough in America, watch that one. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'm, I'm not, I don't really, I have no optimism that there's going to be anything, <laughs> uh, close to justice with this because I, I, was t- I was telling you, Peter, before we recorded, yeah. it, it reminds me of the Botham, Botham Jean case. Um, in Texas, so you know when when he was a young black man in, in his own fucking home, and this white woman who's a police officer went into his apartment. She claimed she thought it was her own. 
and then she shot him when he was basically eating fucking ice cream and then so like there's this whole there's this whole um process that i think we've been going through right so unarmed black person gets killed by a cop or a vigilante right and then there's like outrage people are like this is an outrage how can this happen in america like oh my god and and you know a lot of guilty white people are like oh my god like i can't believe this is happening what can i do i'm gonna keep them in my thoughts and blah 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 and like yes yeah, she's hashtag remember the name it's like okay everyone remembers the name all right and but Botham John, people remember the name. The case got to uh, court, went to court, went through the whole entire procedure justice system, right? So Amber Geiger was convicted of, uh, I think it was like five to seven years. Um, and then people are like, okay, like justice is, you know, we, we got something. We got, like, we, we find the justice system finally got a police officer accountable for killing a black person. Yeah. And then what happens now with Ahmed Arbery, same thing. And it's like, here's the thing is like, we can't always expect to get full justice for black people through the justice system because these kinds of killings are routine. They're systematic. They're incredibly normalized and they've been normalized in America since the days of slavery. So it was normal during slavery. It's basically, this kind of racial violence and terrorism is a form of control and subjugation of black people. That's basically it. So expecting the justice system, which, you know, again, was like when black people came here to America as slaves, we're not the ones who really built the institution of American justice in America. Right. So uh, there's a lot of systemic racism in the justice system built into it for for a very specific reason. So, you know, this idea that we can rely just on the legal system to achieve justice for cases like this when unarmed black people are killed by police and vigilantes like i i think people got to stop thinking that because even if you do get justice like in in the case of botham john technically there was accountability i mean you can debate i mean she got 10 years and also the guy who testified then was mysteriously killed the next week right right yeah so so even if you go through the justice system and there is again accountability that's not going to stop these killings from happening in the first place right because that's really the question is like how do you prevent the killings from happening in the first place well adam i would say that you sound very cynical about this whole situation but did you know that joe biden himself has called for justice so actually i think i think it's going to be okay this time yeah um yeah (laughs) i I was i was just having this discussion with a friend of mine who basically said just that and i'll give my response i was what i said was that i said biden's not gonna do shit what i said first of all he literally can't because he doesn't have any power right right yeah he has no power but my point is that like one i think biden is pandering right because he has i mean first of all he has like he has a very very credible sexual assault allegation against him and more and more evidence keeps coming out. So there's that. Um, and he also, like, him and the Democratic Party, like, th- this is this is kind of veering off topic from, from Arbery, but I really want to know, like, how the fuck they're going to handle that that situation. Cause, they're, they're just going to ignore it. Yeah. So, so, so I think, like, there's that. Like, he's trying to, like, you know, it. this is the way to kind of, like, 
turn the spotlight away from what his fuck-ups to show like, hey, I'm still a good person. I still believe in justice and blah, blah, blah. Okay, Bo, do you believe in justice for the woman who um, who uh, has very credible allegations of sexual assault against you? So I think there's that. So I think there's clear pandering. But also, um, even if, again, you go through the system, um, let's say, okay, Biden get, becomes president and he is just like, God damn fucking damn it i like oh this is an out outrage he won't say god fucking damn it i'm i'm hyperbole uh he'll be like oh just oh this is a bunch of malarkey like ooh, this is such malarkey i can't believe this sassafras blah 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 happened in america we need justice and da 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 da. and so like after black lives matter what happened is like okay the doj investigates so they investigate what did the DOJ investigate? Well, they already told us what we know, which is that the police are racist and there's systemic racist violence. Okay, wow. Yeah. Oh, we already know that. So there's yeah, that. Um, unless you're going to put, like, literally every police department in the country under a consent decree and make them, and then make them all, like, not just fake civilian oversight, but actually, like, civilian run. Like, that's the only, that's the only thing I can possibly think of that, like, could, you know, like like seriously solve the problem while keeping any semblance of the american political system intact so obama actually to his credit he did put a few police departments under consent degrees but the problem is that once trump got in office jeff sessions just basically ripped it up so even if there is a consent degree yeah the next administration could easily rip it up so okay there has to be something like more deeper systematic change and in, by systematic change, like, yeah, like, I would say, like, actual revolutionary change in the way that, like, it replaces one social order with a different social order, right? Replace, replaces the systematically racist social order with a systematically anti-racist social order. And the process to transition from one social order to another, a lot of people are going to get uncomfortable because a lot of people's livelihoods rely on the system of racism being intact. So yeah. they're not going to give it up easily. So like just by relying on the system to mete out some form of justice and get the real kind of justice you need, that's not going to be enough because you're going to need fundamental change that most the, a lot of people are don't want because again, their livelihoods depend on that system being in place. Yeah, and beyond just like the political structure, I mean, the kind of like the social relations that are encapsulated in that one case are like years upon years of you know what i think is like the sort of most american um phrase concept and the one that sort of gets to the root of all things is like self-deputized right Mm -hmm. is the idea Mm -hmm. that like patriotic law-abiding citizens can deputize themselves to become enforcers of the law you know even when they're not being officially employed by the state to do so and this is you know or even if they are literally cops right but when they're not you know on duty or whatever they still have that mentality and it is like the mentality of you personally you human being you know idiot scared i mean like you're obviously a bad person in the first place by thinking this way but also just like any random human that any random human can like self-deputize themselves and you know to go in force and what they're and whenever america needs self-deputized people it's always to do death squad shit i mean that's mm-hmm. what the texas rangers are were yeah. 
mm-hmm. when they were formed, they were a death squad. I mean, you know, like slave slave patrols, right? Like yeah. those were, you know, people who took it upon themselves to enforce the order. And the other thing that I think is always very um, instructive is that a lot of, you know, what did what did they think? What crime did they think he was accused of? Right. Robbery. Right. It is property, you know, that Americans are always willing to kill somebody over, which mm-hmm. is always which was always something that, like, made me very spooked to live here at all. Is that like the idea that, like, you can kill someone for being on, you know, some piece of land right it's always it's always property and that is because you know we are in basically an alien form i mean white america <laughs> is an is an alien form in the sense that it doesn't really belong on this piece of land that's true and mm-hmm. you know they know that deep down inside and the only way they've ever been able to stay here is through sheer violence so yeah, I, uh, I, excellent point, Peter. And just to piggy, I want to recommend two books um, since we're on quarantine and we got plenty of time to read. So Apocalypse of Settler Colonialism by Dr. Gerald Horn. Dr. Gerald Horn is a very excellent black historian. Um, and then also uh, Our Enemies in Blue, Police and Power in America by uh, Christian Williams. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm looking at my bookshelf just, just to get the name right. But those are, you know, if you, if you want to read more about this kind of stuff, I would definitely recommend reading those two books because um, this kind of v- vigilante, this white vigilante violence and police violence are deeply embedded into the fabric of America, which is white supremacy settler colonialism and end of like hyper capitalism right so like you know the the obsession over protecting private property which is built on uh stolen indigenous land right and a lot of times like the 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 property was used to um for plantations right so all this stuff is interconnected so like when people are talking about systematic racism like you know it is systematic but like it has deep historical roots and i think even i i would say like kind of the uh yeah like those are sort of like the consistent animating principles of america which is like you know white supremacy settler colonialism and uh capitalism so like if you understand those things as like very consistent um principles that um animate the the overall social order and body politic of america a lot of the, the things that happen like this, like this case of Arbery being just murdered in cold blood, it makes sense in the sense that like, it's not just that one individual instant of a black person being killed, but it's part of like a longer trajectory of um, anti-black violence, anti-indigenous violence. So again, that's what I'm saying, like just relying on the system to meet out that justice is is not going to be enough i also want to share um before i forget this amazing this great tweet thread by brie newsome because i think she um uh uh, provides some like refreshing refreshing clarity um compared to a lot of other commentary i've been seeing about this stuff so she said um this is a this is a may 5th uh tweet thread so she said um 
I've said this before, but I firmly believe that the recent popularity of circling videos and images of black people being murdered by police and vigilantes and then having a public debate about what we all witnessed is a modern form of white people sharing mementos from lynchings. The purpose is not to seek racial justice, but to soothe the racist psyche of white America by providing confirmation that uh, USA's legal institutions still recognize and protect whiteness as a privileged social class. It also serves to remind black people of our place in the social order. This is the entire purpose of public displays of racial violence against black people. This includes recent incidents of black people being forced to cut their hair in the push to reopen the economy in the midst of a pandemic that disproportionately kills black laborers. So I think like, I, I like that because like, um, because again, like there, particularly during black lives matter, um, even in the press, I think there was some hope that okay if if there are more uh these videos of black people being killed then that could um awaken the collective consciousness of america particularly white america to do something right because previously these kinds of acts of police and vigilante terrorism were not videotaped so it's always like okay black people's word against white people's word right and so like when you go to get justice okay they'll just stack the juries full of white people so the white people are going to believe another white person against a black person and then no justice is going to get done so by having okay like a video it provides like okay some objective evidence of like something clearly wrong happened right so i think like particularly after like Oscar Grant and Trayvon Trayvon Martin and Black Lives Matter. I think like there is some hope that like okay by sharing these videos like this can actually spur some action. But what happens? The opposite. What happens is that people yeah. got desensitized to the videos. Yeah, I mean, there's. I do think there's a difference between like back in when Jet Magazine showed pictures of Emmett Till's open casket funeral. I mean, first of all, that was in Jet Magazine, which was for a black audience it wasn't the new york times wasn't showing it they weren't showing it on abc news every night right so yeah you know but the other thing was always like the sort of um disingenuousness of you know the powers that be the that were always like well yes i mean it's like given america's history which they all know it's like okay well i think we basically have a pretty good understanding of what were what the dynamics of the situation were but they were always like well we just don't know you know unless there's video proof because because you know black people tend to lie about everything right so they could just be making it up which was always like that, that i always thought that was weird when white people were just like no black people are just making up you know centuries of oppression you're not being oppressed and i'll kill you if you say anything about it about how you're being oppressed because you're not right it's like mm-hmm. you know uh, yeah like when cnn would just show the eric garner video like every hour or something right that was not like that you know that kind of stuff was not like oh you know people need to see the brutality of what happened that was oh wow you know check it out you know this is like 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 they like they like that was making it a public spectacle for consumption. That's yeah. not the same thing as what Jet Magazine did in 1955. Yeah. No. I, no. I think I'm, I'm glad you made the distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think like I think at this point, um, we're past like 
let's share the videos let's do a hashtag of the name and it's like it at some point it feels very like there there's something kind of morbid about it like okay the only way we can get justice for dead black people is to share a video of them being killed and then just remembering their name and turning so it's like uh you know so it's like okay like every black person that gets killed just gets reduced to a hashtag like it's it's like the humanity gets ripped out right yeah. i remember I, I remember one time this is years ago i was um this is actually when i met erica garner before she passed away but there was um an event in oakland this is back in i think like 2015 i was i was doing a story for truth out you know it was about um uh families of uh police violence victims um so uh uncle bobby who who's the uncle of um of, of oscar grant he was there um uh erica garner was there um another woman was there um whose son was uh was um murdered by um san francisco police department and uh she broke down crying like she broke down crying and she's like i lost my son like she was talking and talking and then she just broke down crying and the other families needed to comfort her and like i remember seeing that i i almost broke out in tears because i just i just couldn't like i couldn't like even as like as a reporter like you're supposed to be a little bit more like objective and clinical but like that was one moment where i was just like i like my you know my feelings as a black person like it just like yeah like that like this is this is really fucked up like i saw my mother in her and then when i was talking to her and i asked her about who her son was and what his life was like she kind of lit up and she was really happy to talk about her son's life like you know how like he's basically like your average guy in his late 20s like he liked video games and he you know and so you know i think about that and it's like i think about all these other these hashtag names of dead black people we're supposed to remember it's like you know you just took out a human being like someone who had a life had dreams aspirations likes dislikes um uh even their own human uh faults like we all are like humans we we have our faults we have our imperfections they have their good sides and they have their imperfections like all of the things that make someone a human being a living, be- breathing, complex, nuanced human being. All that's gone. And it just re- gets reduced to, they're just a hashtag. You're just a dead body on a camera. Or you're just seeing a, a black body get get beat up by the police. And it's sometimes I get tired of black bodies. Because I, th- I think sometimes when people overuse the term black body, you internalize it. So you just see black people's bodies, not as humans. And, yeah. and, and, and that's like, you know where i'm at right now with this uh, with arbery because it's like you know like this is someone who who was a human being just like everybody else like you me he he uh, was going out for his jog yeah i jog i went jogging today you know i I was on the cross-country team and track team in high school and i still go jogging so it's like oh now i have to be afraid of fucking going jogging my own damn neighborhood is is that where we're at i mean well, well technically that's where we always were but you know, it, he was doing a normal human activity. By the way, a human activity that typically gets associated with gentrifying white people in urban neighborhoods. Like, imagine, okay, imagine like a white well, that's person. that's why they were suspicious of it. 
Right, exactly. Yeah, because imagine a white person in like fucking Oakland or imagine a white person in West Oakland, right? Because West Oakland's getting gentrified. A white person in West Oakland near like a construction space. Um, and let's say some black people are like, huh, this white person looks suspicious. And then they pull out their guns and then they shoot the white person. Like, I mean, the, the, the reaction to that would be a lot swifter, right? Like the justice system would have yeah. reacted a lot quicker to that. So, so clearly it's like the, the justice system, the way it's constructed, as Bree Newsom point out that, um, it's meant to protect whiteness as a wow. social class well you you white people wouldn't even wait for the justice system i mean right. they would start storm they would you know form mm. their neighborhood watches and just mm-hmm. start storming the place yep um yeah there are two things that i think about um one is i remember one time you know because i'm because stu- i do this kind of stuff i was looking on the like you know famous aquarius uh like website where they like list all the people who were born in february and like one of them was trayvon martin and i was like i mean i guess i don't it's it's weird to see him as like a notable person right because it's like he didn't yeah i don't know that that sat with me because it is like yeah it's like these people become you know uh spectacles and like they be like it is in death that like they become noteworthy or something right and i think that's very much it ties in we've been talking uh, like to our to each other about afro pessimism and you know sort of like what that means and sort of coming around back to it or something and like the central thesis of afro pessimism which is that like blackness equals social death Mm. um is something that like is there is definitely some truth to that being a strain in the american psyche where yeah black people especially are you know america doesn't place the highest value on human life overall but black people especially it is like to be black and to live to actually live you know for yourself to just be alive in the fullest sense is is something that can't be allowed and so the people who demonstrate you know that often then have to be killed in sort of a public spectacle way right and there has to be Mm -hmm. this understanding that like you know and it doesn't have there doesn't have to be i think in some ways it has outstripped any actual political economic function and it's just like this is this is something that has to exist for america to be able to tell the story it tells itself is that like you know, because it was always just like, oh, that's just the way black people are. It's always like, oh, no, they just, they just want to live in the ghetto. Right. Yeah. That's that they want to live like that. They they do this. They do that to themselves. They kill each other because that's just how they are. And it's never like the, you know, the set of historical circumstances and processes that create those situations are never interrogated but at the same time, like they have to constantly be reinscribed in order to keep the system at large ongoing. So, you know, it's hard in an era when like we're supposed to embrace multiculturalism and, you know, be against racism, but to then keep a system of white supremacy going. So we have to get a so America's figured out a way to be a little bit smarter about it, I guess, it, but still keep that underlying 
you know, necessary undercurrent of violence that that, you know, serves. I mean, it is I always say like uh, all the white people who are afraid of like being living under totalitarianism. I mean, <laughs> like white supremacy is a totalitarian system. Exactly. So, yeah. I mean, and then that goes back to George Jackson's point about like fascism is already here. And like, especially if you're especially if you're black, like you've been living under white supremacist fascism since the slave trade. Right. Like there really hasn't been any real peace for black people in the truest sense of the term since the slave trade. And and yeah, I you know, like there's been I remember I, I was posting something and I was basically endorsing afro pessimism and one of my friends was like oh you've gone down the afro pessimism route like be prepared for flame wars and i'm like you know what like fuck it i don't <laughs> i mean people I've, I've been hearing a lot of like back and forth and critiques about afro pessimism but like yeah i mean the, the when i read the essential thesis of it like it's very very hard to dispute it and there are so many cases like arbery and Trayvon Martin and and Oscar Grant and Troy Davis and um and Sandra Bland and um Ayanna Jones and I mean we can just go down a list like all these cases basically prove the thesis to over the, or at least the thrust of Afro pessimism. So um we we might do an episode on Afro pessimism digging into it, but I do think like that is a um political theory that. I do take seriously because I think I think its fundamental point is largely uh, correct. And and sometimes I think when people critique Afro pessimism, I haven't digged into all the critiques yet, but the critiques I've seen so far almost prove its point because like um, it seems like whenever Black people try to articulate a very specific political subjectivity that applies directly to our needs collectively as black people um there's uh people get uh iffy about it and it kind of proves afro pessimism's point because i th- like a lot of afro pessimists will say like you know anytime like black people want to articulate a political subjectivity even in groups that claim to be in solidarity with us we get pushback and so, so that's why i think like sometimes the critiques of afro pessimism wind up proving afro pessimism's point um yeah i I think like I think I think one of the reasons people really don't like Afro pessimism is they don't really know what to do about it. And even uh, Wilderson himself is like I've or I've heard because I knew someone who I like w- took went to some of his lectures. He'd say like, "Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know what to do about it. I'm not I'm not I'm not here to like give you any sort of like you know action plan about it. It's just like I think that this is." the way that it, I think this is a state of affairs. And it, I, it's definitely true in the sense of like the American's imagination. And he talks about the libidinal economy, which is just like, which isn't, which he doesn't, that's, I don't know. I haven't, it's been a while since I read all that stuff. Um, but the point that I always thought was very correct is that, there is very much this, you know, almost erotic. I mean, it's not almost because of the ways in which like sexual violence is also used as a form of white terrorism. Um, but there is, you know, it is something about like 
the white American psyche that is like the ability to kill black people that is somehow necessary for it to continue. I mean, it is for it to be a white American psyche. Um, and then, and sometimes I feel like that gets into a tautology almost, but it is true in the sense that like whiteness only has a function when it's, you know, enforcing racism. Otherwise there's no need for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my, uh, we'll wrap up this uh, segment of the discussion and get into the, um, the chud part, but I'll just say this, just to kind of uh, conclude my thoughts. Like I, um, <clears throat> as a Pan-Africanist, I I kind of want to just just say, uh, you know, when when people are talking about like, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I think like, okay, so I want to sort of dice, like, sort of just just mention, just briefly mention like how a lot of previous approaches to achieve justice for Black people and Black liberation just have not worked um like okay we tried um just integration assimilation that clearly hasn't worked because that has not prevented uh black death right and also hasn't prevented um redlining reverse redlining gentrification wealth gap all that stuff all that stuff mass incarceration on and on and on on, right and then also like with the pandemic like we enter like with our last episode our last free episode with uh dr colette harris i mean you know black people are are definitely among the groups most at risk of uh coronavirus along with also native americans and latinos right so um so there's that like so the the integration like kind of post-civil rights integration approach has not improved the material conditions of black people in the united states so there's that um and and trying to i think appeal to the moral conscience of the system and of quote-unquote america has not worked because within the psyche and the systemic forces of america like there really is no conscience so to speak because the system is largely predicated on black death to survive so without fundamental change to change that reality um moral appeals aren't going to work and that's why you know i think that the whole that why the sharing of dead black people on video and all this like kind of hashtag stuff like that only goes so far right because i think people are rely i think people are assuming that like that that you can kind of make a moral appeal to people's consciousness where it's like i think even look i'll I'll even say this um especially living in the bay area i see this a lot like you have a lot of well-meaning liberal whites right who um are opposed to racism quote-unquote check their privilege all that but at the end of the day they're still living in gentrified neighborhoods right so even on that level their way of life relies on subjugating another group of people Right. And so, and so, and so to change that requires far more fundamental change than just moving into a gentrified neighborhood and saying, I'm in solidarity with people of color. Like, well, you're in a gentrified neighborhood. What are you doing to reverse that social relation? And unless you're not doing anything to constructively reverse that, that social relation on a material level, like you're not doing anything. 
right? So so that's not working. And for me, I, I'm I'm at the point like, well, I mean, I think I've been at this point for a while, but I, I think it's, it's probably among the few times I just say it openly on a podcast, so to speak. But um, I really think, and I'm, I'm kind of finishing up this article on pan, Pan-Africanism that'll be up soon. But basically, I think um, uh, black people in the diaspora should take uh, Pan-Afri- Pan-Africanism seriously. Um, there is a great article in, for- in Foreign Policy that was written a couple years ago that I want, I want to put in the show notes. But basically, like, you know, if, if we organize collectively as black people around the world, not just black people in, in the United States, but also black people in Brazil, Latin America, and Africa, if we organize collectively under pan-africanism and and actually i think have like strong african states and even the african union um that can be beyond just like you know an actual kind of like cultural solidarity and psychological solidarity between black people across the world and repealing those psychological wounds of of uh slavery and racism what it could do politically is give black people collectively collectively some actual political leverage to actually get the demands that we actually want and need to change the reality of our condition in the West. Um, by the way, like this doesn't get set, said enough, but I want to mention on, on this podcast, but the African Union actually recognizes the African diaspora as the sixth region. So there's five regions of the African Union. There's the North, the West, the East, Central Africa, and then there's Southern Africa, right? Those are five regions of all the 55 member states on the African continent, but the African diaspora is recognized as the uh, sixth region. So according to, I'll just read what it says in the African Union's website. Um, It it says, uh, with regard to all historic migrations, forced and voluntary, so obviously forced migration would be slavery, the African Union defines the African diaspora as consisting of people of African origin living outside the continent irrespective of their citizenship and nationality and who are willing to contribute to the development of the continent and the building of the African Union. So I think by actually by taking something like that seriously, having the, you know, working with the African Union and similar bodies to actually get political leverage, I think that has more of a chance of actually changing the, the fundamental social relations of black people in the West. Because like because black people have no leverage to demand anything from the u.s government we don't like i was saying a couple episodes ago ago that there is no black politics we have no real leverage so i think like you know instead of just um because i'm just at the point like i'm just i i think the reason why i'm saying this is because i'm just sick of begging uh i'm sick of like you know black people dying all the time and we have to beg like just fuck begging past begging like we actually need to fight and fight constructively and get serious about politics and i i think um you know what i would say particularly in light of this discussion something that's constructive that isn't just despair is like if if black people are really sick of living under this kind of social death um we should be taking uh pan-africanism seriously and that's something like you know outside of my journalism in terms of my own advocacy that um i i want to uh focus on because you know some i'm at the point right right now where it's like i don't want to just write about black people dying because it just gets to it it just it just kind of hurts your soul so you know i'd rather like do something that's you know more constructive um 
so that's just how I feel about that was the Arbery shooting. Just, just I, I wanted to get that off my chest because I, di- I didn't want it. I get sick of like we go through the same thing of like another black person's dead. Let's talk about it. And then just like, you know, America needs to wake up. And, but America's not going to wake up Un- unless there's like real like it does, leverage. I mean, it's just not. It's just I mean, it's not going to happen. It, even if it wakes up, it just goes back to sleep. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't like that whole framework is off. It's like how uh, I remember like when I go to anti-racism trainings at like church stuff in a room full of white people and you may get them to acknowledge like the reality of the situation, but they were always like, okay, well, what do we do about it? And we need like easy, clean answers so that we can solve the problem right now. Cause we don't like dealing with how uncomfortable it makes us. And it's like, there's, there's nothing like, like we like, yeah, there's a whole cottage industry around like policy that -hmm. can be done that tweaks, you know, outcomes because this number is too high because black people are only 13 percent of the population so therefore they should only occupy 13 percent of this bad thing or whatever right but like it's not about it's not it's not an objective problem it's not a technocratic problem it's a subjective problem it has to do with how black people are see and are seen in america and how they are perceived and how they're treated and how they're understood Right. That is something that can only be changed with, you know, a total rupture in the set in the set of historical historical and social relations, which is to say, basically a revolution. Yeah. Um, You know, without getting into like the specifics of that. Right. (laughs) Um, But it is. Yeah, there's no. There's nothing like like we've had 30 fucking years of, you know, white papers and NGOs and all that shit um, yeah. to, of, of well-meaning liberals trying to solve the problem. But, you know, like the the real settlers to see that as another culture war and another thing that they can then rebel against for fun. I mean, it's fun for these people, right? They're not threatened ever. They're never actually threatened by us. It's always just like a thing that they like to do because it makes them feel good about themselves, which is which should show like in, in how incredibly sick they are because like it's yeah, it's funny to them. So our existence is funny to them. And that's why right. it's funny if they kill us. Yeah. Yeah. And like and, and even like on the news, it's like, um, you know, getting a black commentator on to cry on TV and like a, a well-meaning white liberal is like crying and agree with them, agreeing with them. It's like okay yeah like white people can acknowledge what the problem is black people can cry but that's not going to change anything and i think we just need to get fucking serious about that it's not like because i'm just at the point where it's like i'm tired of like begging and like all these other kind of performances it's like okay like we need to we need to actually talk about how the fuck we're actually going to change something and i do think like you know uh pan-africanism and and revolutionary change i don't i don't think those two are you know mutually exclusive but like if yeah. we're going to have fundamental change, we have to get serious. And I do think one of yeah. the first things is getting organized and ha- having actual leverage. Black people have no leverage, period. If we had leverage, we could do something to actually force a change within the system to actually get some real justice. But hashtags, all that stuff is not leverage. It's not. Like videos of black death, that's not leverage. Hashtags are not leverage. 
um, awareness raising and nonprofits. Look, I don't want to, to, to besmirch all the work of nonprofits because, like, there are some nonprofits that do good work and and do like really good serious work. But the whole like nonprofit industrial complex that that exists, um, that's not working. Okay, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I mean, all the people who aren't grifters that in nonprofits know exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. Now. Yeah, they. I the hardest harshest critiques I've seen from nonprofits come from people who worked in them. Yeah. The other thing I'll say about this is that there is this sense of like, and it's shared among, I think, some like black liberal class type people of like racism was America's original sin and we need to be redeemed for it. So then we can, you know, make America whole and heal it and then everything will be okay. Uh, which is like not my concern. It's not like it's not mine either. The idea that America can do one thing to solve this particular problem in isolation outside of the larger questions of capitalism, settler colonialism, and imperialism is wrong. It's just not based in reality. And, you know, so it's, there's nothing, like, all of it's tied up. There's nothing that you can do such that, like, Amer- you know, black and even reparations, right? It's It's not... You know, it's just not economically possible under this form of capitalism, right? It's, you know, so the idea, so any, anytime people like inveigh against racism with the idea of like wanting to heal America or, you know, solve America's race problem as though that's all that it is. It's just a a race problem or whatever. Like they're not, they're not really being serious, I guess. They're not really understanding the actual reality of the situation and also like trying to solve america's race problem like it almost indirectly implies that black people are the problem right like Mm -hmm. it it casts like black people as a group as a problem and also like i don't think black people are particularly obligated to save america because we didn't choose to come here Mm -hmm. like we're the only group of people who didn't choose to come here Right. So why is it our obligation to save a nation that we were forcibly taken to? I think that if you're going to be saving, it's like, okay, maybe I don't even like the rhetoric of saving. Like, fuck, fuck the whole saving shit. Like, we need to be free. That's basically it. Like, we need to actually think about what freedom and black liberation actually looks like. And and I also think that that, um, you know, black liberation, that can go in tandem with other liberation struggles. Right. That can go in tandem with um the the struggle for workers right and and the struggle against um other forms of oppression right but i do think that like you know black liberation like that that's that should be the framework is black liberation i don't i don't think like you know black people have to shoulder this special responsibility to save america because we have enough fucking shit on our shoulders yeah it's it's i it's stupid i don't you know or liberation and self-determination i think that's the yeah that's really the key for me is, you know, if if blackness is to have salience as a political identity, it has to be in the struggle for self-determination. Yeah. So, um, yeah. We're, anyway. at 50, we're at 50 minutes. Uh, we said we would talk about the gun toting maggot show. So we can just, I just talk about that real, for... real quick. I don't know. I mean, I don't know <laughs> what to say beyond. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are the same people and it yeah. is the same. Just like it's just. It's pure, it's just pure America. Like, it's just like, 
never ever thinking about the consequences of your actions. That's because because America's never had to face any consequences for anything it's done. I mean, what? we took over an entire continent and then we, you know, basically took over the world system of finance capital and for every terrible thing we've done, no one's ever held us to account for anything. So why would, you know, pure settlers ever have to really think about the consequences of anything they want that are that is seen as like a key feature of American life. Actually, I want to I want to bring this up just to frame it. <clears throat> um, and I want to get your thoughts on this, Peter, uh, because I think this is related to what we're talking about. A lot of um, I've seen a lot of people like make the hypocrisy slash white privilege um, argument against these. So basically, just to catch people up to speed, so there's a group of um, protesters. They were like just basically MAGA types. There is also a group of people in Fresno, but. You know, even though a majority of the country supports the um, shelter-in-place policies and the quarantining, but to, to basically, you know, people don't want to get sick, right? The coronavirus is still out there; it's still serious. Um, California has made some progress in in flattening the curve, so to speak. This is actually just some one bit of good news, which my county, Contra Costa County, now has uh, free coronavirus testing, including drive-through. So that's a good thing. So. But, like, the virus is still out there. We're still dealing with it. People are still getting it. There's still people dying. Um, America's still, like, probably, like, the the worst place to be in the world when it comes to COVID-19. Because we have, like, the highest number of cases, we, I believe. We, we, we've really outdone ourselves. <laughs> yes. America's number one at coronavirus. Yeah. yeah. We, we are. We're number one in everything, baby. Yeah. So so most people, I think, realize, like, okay, they don't – rightfully, they don't yeah. want to get sick, right? So most people, I think, are reasonable to be like, yeah, we don't want to get sick. So most people support the shelter-in-place policies. But now, like, there is a you know, push by particularly right-wing politicians in the South to open up the country for business, which seems very weird because – even under that logic, uh, a lot of people probably aren't going to go out because, again, like people are just scared to to go out and catch the virus. Um, but so there is like this group of um, protesters who are just like, I'll just call them, I'll call them MAGA shuds. I actually know someone who 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 is among them. Um, he's I don't want to say his name, but like he's a, he's a, a musician I know. He um, moved back home to Wisconsin, and like he's all like. Mm. Tea partied, uh, don't tread on it, me, snake. It really, it really bugs me that Republicans are allowed to play music. <laughs> it seems like they shouldn't be. Yeah, like he, he is just. I was talking to some musician friends of mine, and and a lot of them are like, kind of shaking their head, like, dude, what the fuck happened to you? Because no one really expected it. Um, but so like, I'll just call them like just mostly white people, maggot shuds with fucking in in michigan they stormed the michigan capital with fucking guns and rifles to take over the capital to to open up the the state and there were so people were saying they about got, the they, they gotta culturally appropriate even when they're trying to be racist <laughs> that's exactly what people were pointing out like so uh so people are like Oh, when you know the Black Panther Party went to storm Oakland City Council to, in protest, it was it was the state capital of California. Yeah, like so. In Sacramento. Uh, yeah, so it's like Sacramento. And then there's, I think there is also, I think this is probably like for one of the um, cases of, uh, I think. Uh, but you, you see images of like the Black Panther Party out yeah. state capital, 
public spaces with with shotguns and shit like that so people are like oh okay well you know when the black panthers did it the republicans decided to do gun control but now when these republican white people are doing it it's okay that's hypocrisy white privilege and i just peter what's your reaction because i have some Uh, i have some critiques of that framework these people i mean it is hypocritical but hypocrisy does has never mattered like ding 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 these are not people who have shame or like their whole their whole the whole point is that like the liberal notions of like civil of civilized behavior or whatever like mean nothing to them so the idea that like they have to have a consistent opinion position on anything that is not just like whatever i want what i want when i want it which um shout out to pizza hut training manual is they tell us like that it that's that's the customer like idea that we always need to satisfy is i want what i want when i want it um <laughs> yeah they they just don't like it doesn't matter to them you know or you're like oh well, you hated it hated when kaepernick protests and they be like i mean some of them might be dumb enough to argue like uh well that's different because he was at his job like or whatever, but that's you know that's not the same thing, and you know it. And you know you're just making shit up. And these are people who love to obfuscate. So these are the kinds of people you can't. I mean, you can't argue with them. You can't reason with them because it's not a ra- I mean, it's rational in a way, but like it's not rational based on any values you hold. So right. yeah, there's no, there's no like you can't debate these people in good faith. They do what they want to do because they can do it. Yeah, it's all about power. I mean, and, and people saw it like the, the privilege, sort of privilege checking of these people and like the charge of hypocrisy. It's like, yeah, I agree. Like my response, like the, the, the way I felt was like, or the way I feel is um, like those kinds of frameworks basically miss the point and they don't illuminate anything because fundamentally, like, because I think like these protesters, if you were to kind of categorize them in any way, because like these aren't really like disgruntled workers who are desperate because there is a real wow. crisis when it comes to the economy yeah. like we're at 33 million unemployed um people aren't like this stimulus bill was basically just a slush fund for wall street so people aren't getting are, are not getting the relief the economic relief so there is that crisis right and i would also say like that economic crisis is going to become more acute than the public health crisis because as as the months goes on i think like in terms of actual medical and health research we will be able to tackle this virus a lot better but i think the bigger fallout this we're probably going to feel for uh, maybe two or three years after this is the economic fallout because we're basically in a great depression so um you know, there is like a need for real economic yeah. relief. Well, that, go ahead. Well, I mean, the push to open up isn't about getting the economy back, quote unquote. It's about getting people off unemployment. Exactly. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which, and, which is going to happen to me, I think, at the, starting in June. And it's like, but it's so fucking dumb because it's like to do it properly, like like for the place I work at, you know, it's just like your standard bar slash restaurant. I mean, it's really a bar, but. We call it a restaurant like the amount of like like the like you have to basically operate at half capacity. And, you know, if you're being safe, which I mean, a lot of a lot of places aren't. And, you know, like everyone has to wear masks, including the servers and people don't want to fucking eat out in that kind of shit. So you're not really going to be. And it's like 
yeah, people aren't, you're not really making any money when you're open. It's just like an excuse to, yeah, get people off unemployment. Yeah. That's, and, and also, like, if there is real, like, economic relief, what we would do is, like, okay, have, like, universe, universal basic income, have that, um, and also cancel rent and mortgage payments. So we, yeah. we, we could do actual economic relief to what? to make things easier for people, but we're not doing that. And certainly this, this stimulus bill does not fucking have it. And sure as fuck, the Democrats are not fighting for that. Like when it comes to like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and their agenda, like they're not pushing for UBI wow. or rent cancellation or, or any of that. Yeah, I don't know. I heard Chuck Schumer is going to um, unveil – something that's rose of Velshian in nature it doesn't matter yeah, i mean no. they're not gonna they're, like like i don't really care like what the democrats are fighting for in the sense because it's like it's not gonna pass right like so you know but it is also like yeah it's like businesses get ppp money and so like you have to subsidize the business to subsidize and then they pay like their employees with that, even though we're not making, even though like the business isn't really making enough to be profitable. And it's so dumb because it's like, why not just give the money directly to workers? But be, but you can't allow that. You literally just can't allow workers to get that notion in their head. I, it's kind of like I was thinking about, you know, in the brief period when, uh, when, I, when it seemed like Bernie Sanders could actually win. And it was like, yeah, well, you know, if workers just vote in their own self-interest, they realize, you know, then we could just do this. We could just get all this shit just by voting for it. And I was like, oh, oh, wait a second. They're right. not falling for that one. Yeah. You yeah. Think we it, can just vote all this stuff in. Come yeah. on. Right. And like, I mean, you know, and, and, and at this point, it's like if there's any time to pass Medicare for all, it's now in terms of public support. But, you know, yeah, they're not going to let workers get that crazy idea of like, oh, wait, we could have we nationalized health care. We, we could, we could, yeah. Or, you know, we could work, we could work and live for ourselves and not for our bosses. Right. You, feel, you can't let people get that kind of a notion. Um, and also I, I just read California is going to experience its, worst state deficit in state history because of you know the the pandemic and so it's like i'm worried as someone who works in education because you know usually in these circumstances one of the first things on the chopping block is education so um so even like let's say there are teachers who get laid off um they're gonna need relief right so you know this whole pandemic is like if there's any time that we need actual like real command economy shit um central okay. planning and, and massive socialism like yeah. it's now um but but anyway like that's so that's not really what these people are arguing they're not arguing for that like they just want to open up the country for business um and so like i think the class yeah. composition is like like petty bourgeoisie because if you look at the guns they have those are expensive right yeah. so all the gear like the ammo sexual gear and like the wannabe yeah, yeah fa- fascism isn't for poor people guys right yeah, like they're dressing up like green berets and shit. Like they're all in like amosexual fashion and shit. It's like you know, it's it's just basically porno for gunfuckers at this. Uh, that's how they're dressing, right? So, so it's kind of like a motley crew of, um, I think, like social Darwinists. Actually, there's this asshole in um, Antioch, California, which is not far from where I live. He's a planning commissioner. Who basically said that um, the virus needs to play out to take out, you know, homeless people and the elderly. Well, Antioch uh, basically removed him from office, but it's like, 
People <laughs> like him is like his he, politics are very he said similar. Said the quiet part out loud. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so these are the kinds of people, uh, kinds of people that uh, that are you know in, who feel this way in this country. And when yeah. people are saying, um, you know, hypocrisy and white privilege, it, be, to basically to basically um, point out uh, the difference in response for from the police toward these protesters misses the point because, in large part, the politics and the interests of the protesters are not that far re- removed from the politics and the interests of the police. So there's no reason to expect that the police are going to respond harshly to a group of to a group of protesters whose politics they share and there was one picture i saw of like some, some one of these maggot judge posing with his gun with like i think high-fiving or police uh two police officers or police officers or something so it's like okay yeah oh, these man. guys they're on the same side so it's, a, it's only it's only a matter of time before one of those idiots like forgets to put the safety on accidentally shoots a cop at one of those things but even then they still won't like I mean, if that happened at a left protest, like every single leftist would be on a list and rounded up. But um, so, yeah, so I just want to. Yeah, Antioch. It was Antioch City Council in Antioch, California, and they just voted unanimously to kick out the chief planning commissioner. His name is uh, Ken Turnage II. And he said a second. Yeah, he it was a Facebook post. And he said, um. We have our old, we have our weak, and we have our drains and our resources. The virus is targeting yeah. those. The virus is targeting those sectors of our population. I mean, I, mean but, I agree with getting rid of the drains on resources, aka the bourgeoisie. <laughs> right, but he's not talking about them. And then he said, "But as species for our nation and as a planet, we would str- strengthen when all this is settled." So I think, like, I think when we're talking about like these kinds of people, I think there's a confluence between this kind of extreme social Darwinism, um, the the sort, hence which kind of. Uh, intersects with the far right survivalist types who think like they're the ones who are going to survive the virus because they're white and they have guns and they have to take out mm-hmm. the the dregs on of society and especially like with zombie movies is basically like zombie movies are make they're supposed to make people scared of the other i.e black people and muslims and shit and, like al- and also yeah i mean big reason zombie movies are so popular is because it's like the pure right-wing fantasy of social collapse and like right the ability to murder without consequences. Right. Instead of like dealing with the situation with compassion and solidarity, their their solution is, okay, let's just kill all the undesirables. So um yeah, the, non-pro- I, not the non-productive parts of the population. Yeah, and so like when you look at the routine police violence against black people and brown people in this country, th- those two politics are not antagonistic. Um no, like black, they, black people are tolerated if they're profit if they're able to be successfully exploited but yeah when they start making noise about not liking that then they can just as easily die yeah so that's uh i mean we can just wrap this up but that's pretty much on on that light note <laughs> um yeah that's that's pretty much what i wanted to say about the the sort of chud protesters but um yeah i i think uh you know the whole like um using hypocrisy charges of hypocrisy and white privilege like that's not really going to illuminate much about um our situation i think like if 
I think like what's becoming a lot more clear is uh, America is, uh, you know, a deeply racist and uh, settler colonial and hyper capitalist society. Um, and I think like those sorts of realities are becoming a lot more upfront and apparent, at least to people who, or I think it's shocking the conscience of a lot of people who who believed otherwise about America. But I think if you know, for those of those of you who are like us who've been paying attention to these things, like it's not too surprising, but it's still you know dark and and shit like that. But it's, it's not dark. It's very white. Yeah. <laughs> try to try to get out of that mentality. But yeah. It's hard. It's, uh. Well, on that light note, <laughs> um. Yeah, we will end this. Um. Yeah, so follow us at uh, Sankara Hours on Twitter, www.patreon.com slash realsankarahours. Um, also, realsankarahours.podbean.com for our RSS feed. Um, yeah, tell your friends about us. Uh, subscribe if you like this episode. Um, subscribe because you will get double the content um, for $5 a month. Um, I, I should also mention just just brief technical note. Um Patreon said that they're going to do sales taxes on uh, patrons, which is kind of silly. But so if you donate $5 a month, your sales tax should be anywhere between, I think, 25 cents to 55 cents, depending on where you live. I think it's for like some parts of the United States. They weren't exactly clear like which state or whom would have to pay the uh, right. sales tax. But um, yeah, so uh, so if, if you... If you if you chip in like five dollars a month and you want to get the full content, um, you're gonna get a, a sales tax on that. Um, anywhere from like four percent to eleven percent. Um, so, um, yeah, I just wanted to make that. I thought I'd make that technical note, um, mm-hmm. especially to our patrons and anyone else who's listening. But yeah, for five dollars a month, if you like this episode, um, you'll get um our bonus episodes where we discuss theory and uh, other fun stuff. And yeah, um, I think we'll be discussing Malcolm X, Bell or the Bullet, for our yeah. next. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So if you want us, if you want to hear us discuss that, you should definitely subscribe because we also talked, we also discussed France Fanon, Amilcar Cabral, um, another stuff. So yeah, um, stay safe. Uh, take care of yourself. Take care of yourselves. And And death to America. (laughs) All right. Peace. See ya.